Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. In this episode, I sit down with Bruce Campbell, the founder and portfolio manager of Stonecastle Funds. Him and his team manage six funds across various sectors, including everyone's favorites, cannabis and blockchain. Bruce is a regular contributor on BNM Bloomberg, The Globe and Mail, and a number of other media outlets. In this interview though, we don't talk about investment ideas or big wins. Instead, we're focused on what he likes to see in the opportunities and companies he invests in. As one example, he says, keep your correspondence concise. There are lots of other good points here, including his views on the industries he's covering, as well as what he likes in the investments he's making. Stay tuned as there's a lot to learn. On the line, I have Bruce Campbell, uh, founder and portfolio manager of Stonecastle Funds. Uh, Bruce, welcome and thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Excellent. One of the things I like to do is just start off right away and get uh, your perspective or, or your experience uh, in, in your own words. Can you share a little bit about you and uh, how Stonecastle came about? Yeah, sure. Thanks. So I've uh, been in the investment business since, uh, since 93, so quite a, quite a while. Worked uh, to start with uh, on the retail side and uh, really wanted to work towards uh, having my own shop and having my own company and being able to do what what uh, what I wanted and sort of targeted the, the way I wanted to invest and didn't want to want anyone else sort of dictating that. So while I was still um, still working in the retail side, started to develop a methodology for investing where we looked at both top down and bottom up factors. And then uh, in 2008, launched Stonecastle. We've uh, we've continued to grow since then, and uh, now we manage, uh, I guess, it's six funds, and um, and we manage uh, some generalist funds, an income fund, some cannabis funds, a blockchain fund. So we're uh, we're kind of all over the map, but we really tend to focus on um, main growth companies. Yeah. Well, actually, and, and with that, the previous experience you had to starting Stonecastle in 2008, as I understand, you're with um, uh, a larger fund or larger funds. What were those and, and what ultimately gave you the conviction to start this and focus on, on Canadian small caps? Yeah, it's, there's never really been a focus on saying, you know, we're going to focus on small caps per se. Um, what I focused on was really trying to figure out how to generate returns. And so what I did was initially started to just study, you know, a bunch of different investment methodologies with a growth with it value, you know, really what was that and what worked and tried to determine some factors that over the longer term really generated returns. And so then I, you know, sort of uh, isolated some of those. And then from there, started to actually manage portfolios using that methodology. But what I found was that um, there was still 
a fair bit that the market dictated from market from from returns. And so then I started to work on trying to figure out a methodology whereby you know we could reduce some of the volatility when the markets went down because even though we had great companies, um, you know they would still go down as well. So that's when I really implemented the sort of offense defense piece to the portfolios. And so we talk now about being on offense or being on defense and. Most investors probably don't know if they are on offense or defense. And if they are, it's probably based on what they heard in the media just, you know, 10 minutes before you ask them. Whereas we have tools that help us to guide whether or not we're on offense or defense. If we're on offense, we're obviously fully invested. If we're not, we're, you know, we re-raise cash. We could have short positions as well in some of our funds. So we'll do that. And um, that really came from, from the experience that I had and was able to put all those pieces together as far as the conviction to start stone castle well it was you know something that i've always wanted to do i come from a you know I'm, i guess i would be like fourth generation entrepreneur in my family and so uh you know having my own business was was not something that i was uh, unfamiliar with i'd seen both my father and grandfather in that position and heard stories of my great grandfather in that position. So, um, you know, obviously just put all the pieces and didn't, you know, wasn't something that happened, you know, irrationally or quickly, uh, just, you know, methodically put all the pieces in place for it to happen. And then, you know, and then pulled the pin and, and, and made it happen. Well, you're going on 10 years now. So, so no doubt it's been methodical and uh, it's obviously working out your approach. Yeah, and I mean the uh, you know the interesting part was it probably there was probably five years leading up to when I actually launched from when I said okay this is what I want to do before I felt that all the pieces were in place both from a performance standpoint and and a track record that I had before to you know dealing with all the regulatory pieces to getting all the you know sort of day to day logistics operations in place so it, it did take some time but um, you know it's, it's it's great now that uh, now it's up and running. Yeah, well, well done, well done. When I look at um, the work you've done, you now have six funds. Uh, can you can you provide some color on those? Yeah, sure thing. So we have uh, we've got our own fund, which is a Stone Castle fund, and that's uh, where we fall into the you know sort of hedge fund category where we can be long and short. We're typically looking for you know companies that have uh, an earnings profile that's accelerating. Uh, on the long side, and one that's you know de uh, decelerating on the on the short side, and then we manage two funds for uh, for purpose investments out of Toronto. So we manage a, a growth mutual fund and an income mutual fund. Uh, both of those are are fairly similar as far as the methodology that we use, as well as the methodology we use for Stonecastle Fund. Um, we're looking for you know sort of similar profile of companies. There's often lots of overlap between those three portfolios because we're looking for similar type of qualities. And then we manage, uh, we manage a fund that we partnered with Spartan Investments out of Toronto, which is um, in the cannabis space. So it's the Stonecastle Cannabis Growth Fund. We manage uh, the public portion of the um, Cannabis Growth Opportunity Corporation portfolio, which is also cannabis-based, as you would guess from the name. And then um, last fall, we got approached to manage... Um, Manage a portfolio uh, for First Block Capital of Vancouver, which is uh, which is actually a, a blockchain adopters uh, ETF. So it's not when you sort of think of when you think of uh, Bitcoin or, or blockchain, but these are actually the large companies that are uh, using blockchain in their business to really 
know, change their business as, uh, as they go forward. So we have uh, quite a stable of, of, of funds that we manage. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's, uh, it's quite the gambit there. And when I hear about uh, the different funds you, that are there, the ones that spark me are the, uh, the cannabis fund. Uh, or the cannabis funds, and then also the blockchain. And what I find interesting there, and I'd like to get your perspective on, is the, the companies that you'd be bringing in there, some of them will have seen, uh, you know, the, or be towards the latter end or perhaps uh, the higher end of their growth curve. But I'm sure, and from a bit of research I've done, there's very early stage companies you bring in there, perhaps they're pre-public or just public. For CEOs and, and investment teams and IR managers, what should they know about how you look for these companies or what are you looking for and, and how do they come across your desk? Uh, well, they come across our desk kind of in a number of different ways. So I'm always kind of amazed at, at sort of how we, how we find things. Um, we like to, we like to, you know, kind of try to turn over as many rocks as we can. And what we find is that often you know, a company that we may have identified two or three or four years before, um, we might not invest in it initially, but we'll watch it and then it becomes time when we do. And that can come anywhere from, you know, where we've met a company at a conference and, you know, we've sat in front of, of the CEO as they've, you know, sort of pitched their business when they're starting off to, you know, we deal with a number of, uh, of the sell side analysts and brokers and i mean they'll show us different ideas both pre pre-public and public companies and then we um you know we we get a lot of uh we get a lot of ideas as well just sort of from random places so you know probably one of the best uh performing companies that we had in the portfolio in uh, in 2017 came from just a random email that i got to somebody who i didn't know they had obviously seen our profile, sent me an email saying, Hey, have you ever looked at this company? You know, by the way, I own some. And, um, you know, it wasn't one that um, immediately I read the email and was like, Oh, I got to research this. But it was, you know, sort of went into the folder. And when we had time, I took a look and said, Oh, hey, this is kind of interesting. And, you know, we then, you know, met with management and, you know, did all the work and it ended up in the portfolio and it was up, you know, probably 400% in 2017 for us. So, you never kind of know where they're going to come from, but we try not to be too, too close-minded as far as, uh, you know, when people want to show us opportunity. That's, that's not a bad success story on that. And uh, interesting to see how it came. It's something that uh, I've talked with others that I've interviewed on is when going out to raise money or when going out to get institutional participation or investment, you have to start early. And, and sometimes that's starting early to reference what you said is like a company could have approached you or, or pitched you four years ago in uh, in a conference. What's your method to keep an eye on these companies? And the, the backside of that question is how should a CEO or, or an investee company look to keep on your radar in a tactful way so they can see or you can see the progress they're making? Yeah. So as far as how we kind of stay up on on uh, the the different companies is you know we 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 do we do comb through a lot of research we comb through a lot of press releases a lot of news releases and financial statements so we're you know sort of constantly doing that 
we fortunately have put together some technology and some tools that help us to do that. Um, as far as you know, what a CEO should do to kind of stay on our radar, um, you know, we we appreciate the you know con- direct contact with the CEO, um, and and obviously with a bigger company that's not always possible. If you're a you know fifty billion dollar company, you probably don't have time to be phoning you know us. You probably have an IR person that does, but you know we want to be probably kept up to breast with your development. Um, you know, probably do a marketing meeting, you know, a couple times a year, maybe once a quarter, depending on how fast your business is changing or developing. And, um, you know, as much as I don't like email sometimes because I get so much of it, uh, obviously that's one way as well. You know, we tend to get a lot of press releases or even, you know, CEOs or IR people who will say, oh, hey, by the way, did you notice this? And lots of times we already know it, but occasionally, you know, that's stuff that we've missed and, you know, brings it to our attention and we can focus back in on a name. Interesting. And, and when you, when you speak about, um, well, in tracking, uh, these companies, is there a balance between the metrics and the story you follow? I mean, sometimes it's, there's the performance, but you're looking for the story of the vision of the, for the growth of the company. How do you view that? Um, well, we, we look at, uh, we obviously look, you know, and when, when we initially meet, meet the company, we're probably interested from, from a couple of different perspectives, either, you know, the concept sounds really interesting and we feel there's an opportunity for them to be really successful or, you know, the numbers look really fantastic and are accelerating. And then we sort of find out more about, hey, what is this business really about? So, you know, both of those are what kind of drive why we look at something, but then the numbers ultimately drive whether or not it stays with us. So, you know, like I said, we've had, had examples where we've met, you know, a company at a conference and went, hey, that's a neat, neat concept. It's really interesting. And then, you know, just kept watching it. And then, hey, you know what? Next quarter, they're going to be cash flow positive based on what we, what we can see here. And you know, take a position, and and the stock does really well as the rest of the market kind of recognizes. Hey, this company's you know going cash flow positive now. Or hey, I've never heard of this company, but hey, look how fast they're growing and they're cash flow positive. So it's just a function of staying on top of it all. I get you. And what's that? What's that technology look like that that you use to follow these these companies? Um, you know, we use a, a number of different um, screening tools. Um, you know, as simple as you know, we've got obviously pages of uh, launchpad pages of, of Bloomberg term on our Bloomberg terminals, and then we have um, we have some screens that we use. Uh, where we have models that uh, we've built for companies and they're updated on, you know, on a fairly regular basis. And then, um, and then as well, we use some technology just to, to view, you know, technicals and things like that. So. Interesting. Okay. Thanks for that. If we could step back to talk about your cannabis funds and then the blockchain fund. Do you want to elaborate on on what you're looking at there and the, and the parameters of of investment and uh, 
I, I saw one headline that you, you're going to look at anything and everything on, on one of your cannabis funds. Uh, but what does that mean? Yeah. So, I mean, that's sort of changed over time. You know, we initially started investing in the sector back in 2013 when what's now Canopy was about to go public. We invested in one of the private rounds. We felt that, you know, kind of over the next 10 to 15 years, cannabis was going to be this uh, huge growth business as the acceptance really changed from it being, you know, sort of this illegal substance that, you know, was in the, in the, in the black market to where we felt it was going to come more into the, um, into the forefront. And it's actually happened a lot quicker than we thought. Initially, when we looked at these companies, well, you know, we were probably not unlike a lot of other people where, you know, we were just trying to figure out like what their revenue was going to look like, what their costs were going to look like and how much capacity they were going to have. And that was, you know, important. Like, oh, hey, these guys got a license. They got a health Canada license. They, you know, have this much size of facility. They have the ability to, um, you know, to fund it all. And, and that was what we looked at. And then, you know, sort of the next iteration of that was to look at, to look at, um, you know, what were some of the other verticals that they could possibly get into? How were they distributing the product? And then we started looking at, you know, some of the U.S. opportunities and some of the international opportunities. And now we're, you know, we're looking, you know, kind of beyond what traditional, you know, sort of people think of cannabis. And so, you know, now we're looking at, you know, companies that uh, are doing other things. So, you know, I met this morning with a packaging company. That's all they do is, you know, packaging for cannabis. You know, we've met with companies that only do software for cannabis. And, and that's where we think it goes. And we think that eventually it goes to where, it's a pure pharmaceutical market, not, you know, there's always going to be a recreational slant to it, much like there is with, you know, sort of alcohol or, or tobacco. Um, but we also think that there's going to be this huge medical side and then not medical in the fact that, you know, people are rolling up a dried flower and lighting it on fire, but medical in that you'll go to your pharmacist and get a prescription and probably have no idea that some of the some some of the prescription or all the prescription comes from a compound that came from the cannabis plant and that you know it's going to fix your ailment and you're going to feel better and you know if you look into it you might discover that that's what it's based on but you may not know that either and that's where we think it gets you know significantly bigger and obviously that wave probably moves globally as you know we go from what's now medical to you know just smoking that that dried flower to uh, recreational and then to the pharmaceuticals. So it, it sort of evolved over time what we look at. That's, that's really interesting. Your take on, uh, on cannabis. And, and I think the, the larger picture is what I'm hearing. I mean, right now they're just, perhaps it's just the fanfare and the hype of having a, a newly legalized uh, <laughs> recreational pastime. And, uh, and with that, so you get a lot of, a lot more noise from the recreational side, whereas what I'm understanding is your view is that moving this into cannabis into the to the world of pharmaceuticals is, is where the the vast amount of growth is going to be, and and really this becomes a uh, a pharmaceutical play, and perhaps that's going to completely dwarf what you're seeing in recreation. Yeah, I think it certainly has the potential to be to be massive. You know, just as the 
as the the, the uh, recreational side is now. And I mean, most people are looking at the recreational side thinking like, okay, this is going to be massive. But when you, know, you think about the plant itself has been used for thousands of years by humans and but the but the reality of the situation is that that you know the last hundred years really there hasn't been anything um you know there hasn't really been anything from a research standpoint done because there's been you know more or less prohibition against the plant worldwide and so now you, know, you think of the strides we've made in the last hundred years from a medical technology and and uh, prescription standpoint, well, now all that technology is going to eventually work towards um, what what different compounds of the cannabis plant can help you know humans that we sort of anecdotally know have have been working on human bodies for you know for thousands of years. When you're looking at uh, opportunities that come to you, what's the what's the bite size you're going after, and is it for Stonecastle and your your uh, managed funds? Are you are you a lead investor, or how do you approach uh, the money that you, you put in? You know that depends, right? It depends on kind of what the opportunity is. You know where, how far along the company is, what the liquidity opportunity is. So you know it'll vary. Like sometimes we, you know, we don't invest much on the initial round. We might just invest a little. Other times, uh, you know, we, we may invest more depending on kind of what stage they're at. And yeah, I mean, we'll look at it for, for all of our portfolios. We've, you know, believe it or not, we've even helped cannabis investment in our income portfolios when, you know, back when they were paying, when they were actually paying us interest on those investments. Now, a lot of them are paying, are paying shares uh, as the interest, but um, but back when they used to pay us interest, we we would invest in the cannabis sector in our income portfolio as well. So you know, pretty much every portfolio has the opportunity to uh, to have some exposure if it meets the parameters for that portfolio. Well, excellent. Hey, when when looking um, at the the blockchain side, I mean, we've got two. Well, I think one very hot sector and then blockchain has seemed to uh, perhaps uh, peaked a little too early on a little bit too much hype. But there's, you know, I think a lot of people think there's a lot of value that's, that's uh, perhaps misunderstood that's coming down the pipe. What's your, what's your vision of the, the world of blockchain? So 10 years from now, you know, blockchain probably revolutionizes the way we do business in a lot of ways. We don't necessarily probably even know what that is. Um, you know, a lot of people have equated it to what kind of the internet was uh, 25 years ago in that, you know, there was a group of people that knew about it. You know, lots of people had heard about it, but they didn't really know what it was going to do. But, you know, we know, you know, from anything from sort of smart contracts to logistics, it it's going to have an impact and, you know, sort of where that eventually goes. Nobody, I don't think, really has a, a real strong idea yet, um, but it's certainly going to be something that is, is prevalent and probably changes the way we do business. Yeah, I can. I'll agree with you on that. We don't know yet, but there's no doubt there's something there. Is there any specific sectors that that you find most interesting? Uh, no, like I mean, so for the blockchain 
ETF that we manage for first block, it's, um, it's really adopters. So, you know, like as an example, one of the companies that we have in there is Walmart. And most people don't think of Walmart as a blockchain company, but we're looking at it because of what they've done on their supply chain and logistics. So typically before, if Walmart had sourced um, produce, it would take them seven days to track down where that produce came from. So you have produce that's tainted with something. And instead of, you know, being able to like take the time to track down where it came from, obviously a health risk. So, you know, instead they would just pull all of that product. So if it was lettuce and lettuce was contaminated, they would pull all of the lettuce from all of their stores. And there was, you know, tremendous amount of food that was wasted because, you know, some of it didn't come even from the infected area. Now with blockchain, they're able to you know, track down and within seconds, they know exactly where it came from and they also know where it's gone to. And so, you know, as a result, they can say, okay, well, this, this truck had the lettuce on it and it went to these three locations. So, you know, we have to pull it from there and everything else is good and they know immediately what it is. So we're not looking for specific sectors. We're looking for companies that are using blockchain. And that's how, you know, a lot of, of what the portfolio consists of now is, is using it from a logistics standpoint or using it from a financial services standpoint because you know that makes um, you know that makes a lot of sense and and the the financial services companies are just starting to get into that that's such a great example and I, I've heard of a number of instances where you're bringing blockchain into the world of food, which is, I mean, what a prime fit. Uh, one of the things that um, you put forward with Stonecastle is transparency. Uh, and this was on uh, on your website with the values that you put forward and how you interact with your investors. Oftentimes, it's very hard for uh, CEOs to maintain communication, let, let alone communicate in a transparent way, especially when tough things happen or, or things go sideways or perhaps uh, uh, certain things aren't met. Do you have any stories or examples where transparency has has helped companies or, or CEOs and, and uh, their businesses stay on side with you? Um, well, certainly, you know, certainly we're, we, you know, we know that in the business world, you know, it, things don't go perfectly all the time. And if you're trying to grow your business, there's going to be, there's risks to that and there's going to be stumbling blocks. And, and so we understand that. We obviously don't want too many of those or ones that have been done as a result of negligence, but we understand that those things are going to happen. And we understand that, you know, a management team is going to be watching that and needs to be on top of that as far as, you know, how they deal with it and how they report it to us. So, you know, does it obviously make us happy if something like this happens? Of, of course not, but we're going to have a lot more, you know, we're going to have a lot more respect for management and probably a lot more staying power with them than if they just pretend it didn't happen. And I mean, typical sort of corporate governance in, you know, bigger companies already has that in place. They have, you know, they have risk committees, they have, you know, audit committees, they have policies and procedures that make sure that those type of things don't happen. And if they do, they've already sort of thought of how they're going to deal with them. 
we really are starting to find though, you know, in the cannabis space, that that can really differentiate management teams in that, you know, we have seen examples and I won't name any names where, you know, cannabis companies have had what would be considered, you know, sort of catastrophic failures, but they've tried to just cover them up. So, you know, maybe they've had facility problems or they've had crop problems or they've had sales problems and, you know, they, they don't actually come out and say, Oh, by the way, we had these problems. So, um, you know, it's, it, we certainly have more respect for the, for the teams that are open and honest and, you know, forthright with, with the information, good or bad. It's gotta be a pretty, pretty tough pill to swallow for a CEO to have to, well, disclose, uh, information like that and, and perhaps have that, you know, deeper transparency. I mean, in a, in a public light, but, um, yeah, is there is there any way you've seen it done well to where you decided, you know what, the way they communicated that and from the discussions we have, we now recognize and we're going to move forward? I mean, what any examples there? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's there's certainly been examples where, you know, say a company has um, some type of misstep. Maybe that's an earnings misstep for a quarter. Maybe that's, you know, they missed a project or they didn't get a contract or, you know, something like that. And because of the reporting, you know, where, you know, the stock gets punished by the market, you know, we'll step up and invest in it because we go, okay, well, you know, this isn't a regular occurrence. And, oh, the CEO has explained to us like, you know, that, yeah, this happened and here's the five steps that they've taken to, you know, alleviate that happening again. And, oh, by the way, you know, this is what we've done since, you know, we found out about that and here's where our business is now and it's going to be even stronger in, you know, six months or a year. You know, as a result, we've, you know, decided to invest more as opposed to running, you know, running the other way because, you know, management was trying to hide something and eventually hit the street. I get you. I think it's... uh from there almost taking the opportunity to uh, communicate, explain, and then, and then that gives you the opportunity to step in and perhaps um, uh, average your cost down in, in something that you'd have a, a belief in that's definitely a good company. So with, with all that you have going on now, and this is more of a, of a general uh, question, what projects are most exciting you? I mean, uh, across six funds and, and some very exciting industries, where are your eyes set and what have you got uh, your sights on? Yeah. I mean, like we're, you know, we're watching everything, right? Like because we have generalist funds and we've got an income fund and, you know, we have to sort of be watching everything. So, you know, I'll do an analyst call on, you know, mining and hang up and do an analyst call on our company call on cannabis and then, you know, read a blockchain report and followed up by you know financial services right and you know we kind of cover cover the gamut obviously with the you know with the specialization that we've done recently in the cannabis sector probably takes up a little bit more of our time than than the other businesses so i mean we still find that quite exciting because we think that there's going to be you know a huge change to that um to that business and that sector over the next decade, same with blockchain. 
But that being said, like we have generalist funds where people are paying us to to manage those funds, and you know we're still trying to figure out like you know does this does this um, does this company have the ability to grow, and if it does, you know does everyone see it, and is it priced into the stock, and you know if not, can we invest and make you know make outsized returns on this? So we're we're you know we're really looking at everything. I got you on that. Okay. Okay. So Bruce, to wrap up, uh, can you share any final thoughts um, for CEOs or IR professionals on uh, the best ways to communicate with you, the best ways to communicate with the market for their companies? You know, with the age of technology, it should be, you know, relatively simple. Um, you know, we're looking at people who are consistent with their communication. So, you know, kind of, uh, comes in the same consistent format and you know we kind of know what to look for um with so much information flow nowadays obviously you know short and concise is better than not um if if we want more information we can always reach out to people um but if uh if it's too long-winded uh chances are it you know it, it gets deleted that could be a voicemail or an email or a press release, uh, you know, we, we just don't, we just don't read it all. And I mean, our attention spans are short as everyone else's. So, you know, clear and concise probably, uh, is, is the way to go from, from that perspective. I appreciate the note that, uh, even as a, as a heavy, heavily analytical profession, your attention span is as short as everyone else's. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and for anyone or for our listeners, uh, Anyone who would like to follow your work or uh, get in touch with you or Stonecastle, what would be the best path to do that? Yeah, as far as following our work goes, I mean, there's uh, there's kind of lots out there. So we put together, for the two funds that we manage for purpose, we put together what we call our holdings report, which goes out every two weeks from our office. And it actually details all of the holdings in the portfolio. So when you talked about transparency earlier, this kind of hits that point in that you can see a snapshot in time of exactly what we own in the portfolio. If you look at it two weeks later, you can see exactly what we've changed in the portfolio. We also talk about our top-down approach, whether or not we're on offense or defense, so you know exactly what our thoughts are. Um, we run a distribution list for that. It's sent out as an email with a, uh, with a link. And um, if you just send an email to info at stonecastlefunds.ca, you can be added to that list. Um, in addition to that, we put out a monthly commentary for our own Stonecastle fund. Uh, we put out commentaries for, uh, for the Spartan, uh, for the Spartan fund, which is the Stonecastle cannabis growth fund on a monthly basis as well. Um, and then for the, um, for, for CGOC, the cannabis growth opportunity corporation, uh, we do a, a, a quarterly webinar where we participate in that and give some thoughts on that. I'm on Twitter as well. So, uh, SC underscore funds, uh, is me. And, you know, quite often I'll post stuff about kind of what we're looking at or what we see. Also, you know, still people can on updates as far as, you know, whether or not we're on offense or defense or if we're having a webinar on our top down indicators, which we do once a month. Um, and then as far as just, you know, for people who are interested in our Stone Castle fund. Then uh, yeah, you can you know reach out to us by phone, or our details are at uh, stonecastlefunds.ca, or 
again, send a, an email to info at stonecastlefunds.ca. Excellent. I'll put, uh, I'll put that information in the show notes and, uh, and otherwise, Bruce, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, you, you provided some really interesting insights there and uh, I'm sure it's going to be valuable to many others. So thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.